Good morning, everybody. I'm good. Uh, for those who I haven't had a pleasure of meeting this week, my name's Andrew, uh, one of the team with BST. And uh, my wife, Deb, is over there in the green shirt. I'm sure she'd love to say g'day after the service today, as well as my son, Mitchie. Uh, and I'm in my second year, of ju- sorry, just, um, just over halfway in my college course here at BST. Uh, wow, uh, I can't believe the whole week has flown by so quickly. On behalf of the team, we just want to begin by saying thanks so much for the love that you have extended to us this week. Not just the opportunity to come and be with you, but the genuine love we have felt. Uh, Starting even before the service last Sunday morning, when we kind of nervously walked in uh, and were greeted so so wonderfully, Uh, your love has carried through to this morning, so thank you. Uh, as uh, you might have got a sense this morning, we've been involved in all sorts of things this week, uh, which has been terrific. Uh, we've been in Bible studies, and we've been in men's breakfasts, and we've been in youth nights, and we've been in craft morning teas, and we've done some coffee evangelism, and uh, a variety of other bits and pieces during the week. And uh, I think through all of these, there's a few other things we've got to see. Firstly, we've got to see your love for Jesus shine through, uh, which has given us such encouragement. We've also got a real taste for how you are seeking to share uh, love and the love of Jesus with those around you. Uh, And finally, we've also got to see your love for each other, uh, which has been really cool. Uh, I personally have just got to observe uh, not only people praying for each other and checking in on each other, uh, but I've heard of people making meals or going and cleaning somebody's house just to help them out. And I even was part of a conversation where somebody mentioned they were having car troubles And just off the cuff, uh, somebody else uh, just said, hey, if you need some help financially, let me know, and I'd I'd love to step into that. I commend you for your love. Uh, And again, we're so grateful for the way you've shared it with us. Thank you. It's actually for that reason uh, that it's both a privilege and it's a bit awkward to be talking to you from the passage that I am this morning, which is all about uh, love. It's Paul's well-known hymn to love. Uh, It's a pleasure because this is a beautiful passage. Uh, It was read at my wedding, as it may have been at some of yours. Uh, But it's awkward because in many ways, my observations would suggest that you guys are walking in the way of love. Uh, That there isn't an urgent need to exhort you in this way. And yet I'm sure that uh, many of you would agree, regardless of where we are and how we're loving we can all veer off the way from time to time, can't we? Uh, maybe not far off the way, perhaps just enough to hear that audible line marker whirring a bit on the side of the highway, or maybe just see a bit of dust flying up behind the tyres. But at other times, we can find ourselves way off the way, uh, a bit like Dan and Grace and James and I trying to find our way to the retirement village this week. Uh, we were in the wrong suburb, way off the way. Uh, Alwyn, thanks for covering us again. <laughs> Whatever the case, we each want to get better at this nice idea of loving each other, don't we? Uh, Because it is so much more than just a nice idea. Uh, It's a command that our precious Lord Jesus gave. Yes, he who loved us so extravagantly. It's also the way that we show that we are truly his disciples and that we display his glory and his goodness to the world around us. Uh, Now, I'm a pretty big Broncos fan. I assume everybody here is as well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, well, what do the Broncos do early in the week if they haven't had a win on the weekend? They get together, they consider what went well, what didn't go well, they think about what improvements are needed, and then they make a battle plan for the week ahead. And what do they do each week if they've just had a big win? They get together, they reflect on what's gone well, reflect on what didn't go well, and they make a game plan for the battle in the week ahead. Why? Because they want to be the greatest football team. As we seek to display God's glory to the world around us and make his name the greatest, we too want to be considering how we're going, what improvements are needed, and revisit our game plan for the battle ahead. So let me pray, and then let's be reminded together about what the way of love is and why it's the most excellent way. Father, I just want to thank you for uh, our time together today, and I thank you that you determined to speak to us through this passage this morning. Uh, Would you do just that? Uh, Would you be glorified in this place now and always? In the precious name of our Lord Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. So it's important to start uh, any, uh, you know, visiting any passage with some context. And that's not just because my Bible college lecturer is here and uh, something that's drilled into us at college is context, context, context. Uh, but it's because understanding the context for a passage is actually really quite important. So what can uh, an examination of the context of this passage reveal for us? Is that bouncing around too much or is that okay? Well, firstly, uh, it can tell us that the love that's being described here is agape love, which is not the romantic or the erotic kind of love. Uh, There's other Greek words that Paul could use for that. Rather, it's a sacrificial love, uh, which has a warm interest and affection and care for others. I've heard it described as the giving love. Secondly, Whilst this is certainly a great passage to be reflecting on in your marriage, uh, to even be uh, working through in, in terms of pre-marriage counselling, or to be praying about if you haven't yet found your partner, uh, it's important to see that Paul didn't actually place... It's, it's striking to see that Paul didn't actually uh, put this section on love back in chapter 7 when he was talking about marriage. It's here between chapters 12 and 14 where he's talking about the community and worship and use of gifts within the, the, the church community. So, so whilst this is applicable to our marriages and family life, certainly, Paul's point is the love that he's describing here is the love that we should be showing to each other. Finally, this passage is actually the climax of Paul's letter uh, and his teaching, uh, not just on spiritual gifts and worship, but in fact, uh, everything he's trying to convey to the Corinthians. So far in the, in the letter, if you know Corinthians well, he's been addressing things like jealousy and some sort of rivalry going on. There's been boasting and uh, just inappropriate behaviours. There's uh, been some rudeness and exclusivity. Uh, essentially, the congregation he's writing to weren't uh, living in the way of love. But rather than just saying, you guys need to love each other, he takes a whole chapter here to describe what he calls the most excellent way, to to spell out what is the way of love. He starts in verses 1 to 3 by showing them why love is necessary. 
He then gives them a description of what love looks like. And then he shows them in verses 8 to 13, why is love the best, the best way, the greatest way, even greater than the other key virtues of the Christian life. It's only after he's shown them this way that he calls them to pursue the way. This morning, would we not take for granted that we already know the way? Instead, would we be reminded too? And would we hear his call and continue to pursue love? So let's get into it. Uh, Verses 1 to 3, the necessity of love. So Paul begins by pointing out uh, that love is necessary. He does this by using some pretty extreme examples, doesn't he? He says, if I can speak with the tongues of angels... Of man, if I can prophesy all knowledge, if I have faith to remove mountains, uh, without love, these things are worth nothing. They lead to nothing. He's referring here to various spiritual gifts that were operating in the Corinthian church. Uh, In the next chapter, he actually uh, gives us some insight into these gifts a little bit more. Uh, For example, he says that. Tongues are a prayer language by which one speaks to God, uh, and prophecy is speaking to people, uh, the words of God, for their strengthening and their encouragement and their comfort. And he also seems to have Jesus' teachings in mind when he talks about faith that can remove mountains and giving all your possessions to the poor. It's important to see that Paul isn't claiming to have or be all of these things. They're the greatest extremes of each of these gifts. It's likely the very way the Corinthians already thought of themselves. It's also important to recognise that he's not focused just on these gifts. They're representative of the many good gifts that God bestows on his children to equip and strengthen his church until Jesus returns. In the previous chapter as well as in various other places like Ephesians 4 and Romans 12. Uh, Paul outlines various lists of gifts that uh, God gives that that are given by the Holy Spirit uh, to us when we become Christians. Uh, These include things like the gift of serving, the gift of teaching, the gift of encouraging, the gift of giving, the gift of leading, the gift of showing mercy. So we could quite rightly revise what's written here to our context to include uh, statements like, uh, if I sing in a way that brings a tear to every eye in the room, or I greet newcomers so that they feel at home in our church within just a few minutes of arriving, or I clean the church so that the handrails reflect like a mirror, or I bake with such skill that taste buds are salivating even from the car park, His point is that whatever gift we've been given, however good it is, if we are doing it without love, the result will be nothing. That Paul raises this point reveals something challenging to us. It raises the possibility, perhaps even the probability, that we can find ourselves doing things also without love. Even loving activities like giving our things away could be done for reasons other than love. 
As I reflect on my life, I think some of the ways that this can happen is that we fall into doing things so that we can get something out of it. Uh, It might be something, or perhaps we start with really good intentions, but we continue because of what we're getting out of it. Uh, It may be something really subtle, uh, like admiration and recognition. Nonetheless, we end up doing things for ourselves, not for love. Another common way that this can happen is that we begin to think that we must do something. Perhaps there's nobody else available, or nobody else will step up to take this on. We do things out of duty and obligation. Perhaps a little bit like Martha, we can get frustrated when the Marys among us aren't seeing or acting on what we can see needs to happen. And and we miss that they may have very different gifts to us that they're using in different ways. Let's be careful not to hear this as a call to stop doing things. In his letter to the Romans, Paul writes that if you've been given uh, this gift or that gift, use it. It's given so that we would use them. Uh, To the Corinthians, he points out, out that each of the gifts are just that. They're gifts from God for the common good of our church. We do, however, want to use them with our, with our gaze set clearly on Christ and out of love for our brothers and sisters. Are you using the unique gifts that you've been given to love those around you? If not, what is motivating your actions? Perhaps some of us have found ourselves wishing we had another particular gift. It's it's healthy to desire gifts if it's for the right purpose. Let's ask ourselves the question, is this so that we can love our family our church family well, and truly bless them. Maybe you're not sure what gifts you've been given. Uh, If you're not, I'd encourage you to chat with your pastors or your home group leaders uh, to read over some of those chapters that I mentioned. Uh, You can be sure that if you are a follower of Jesus, he has given you gifts to bless this community. But, But let's hear Paul's point. Love is what brings worth to our actions. Love is what makes things that are incredible truly worthwhile. Without love, they're actually worth nothing. This brings us to Paul's second section, where he shows the way of love. So what does love really look like? What is What does it look like to have love? Uh, One of my children is here. I've got two more little ones, a two-year-old, a four-year-old, and a six-year-old. Uh, and Deb and I decided at the start of the year that it's time we gave our kids a few chores to do around the place. Some simple little ones. Uh, and uh, one of the chores we gave them is that we'd like them to tidy their room each afternoon. Uh, now, uh, we actually got, it was pretty easy to gain agreement for this. Uh, might be su- I was quite surprised by that, but uh, they, they took it on with reasonable gusto. However, it was only at the end of the first day that we realised we uh, we'd missed something. When we uh, came time for bed and we said, okay, guys, has everybody done their chores? Yes, Dad, we have. Okay, great. And when we had a quick peek in the room, it didn't quite look tidy the way we understand tidy. Yet we'd realised that we'd missed something, perhaps as other parents could relate. It turns out that our definition of a clean room was quite different to our children's definition. 
even though they had seen us tidy up and heard us say things like, hey, you need to pop your shirt away or uh, these sort of things, they hadn't put two and two together that all of those things amount to a a clean room. In many ways, it seemed that the Corinthians also needed to sit down and hear it again. No doubt they knew the command to love. And even though they'd likely witnessed Paul's uh, manner of love and life as he was with them, it seems that they too hadn't quite put two and two together for themselves. So Paul begins by writing those beautiful words, love is patient, love is kind. It's been pointed out that patience is how one shows love in response to somebody else's actions. It's love's reactive side. While kindness is how one shows love to others actively. This is helpful because it reminds us uh, that love is both reactive and active. The word for patient here basically carries the meaning to bear up under provocation without complaint or anger or frustration or despair. It's how love reacts when it encounters imperfection and faults and hurts and differences. Kind just means intentional acts of loving kindness for each other. It's important to note that each of these words that Paul uses to describe love are actually verbs. Now, if it's been a while, nouns are naming words, adjectives are describing words, and verbs are doing words. Good job. There was a Christian rap song back in the 90s. You might know it. Uh, I won't rap it, but I will read it. Uh, Which had the lyrics, I'm pulling out my big black book because when I need a word defined... That's where I look. So I moved to the L's, quick, fast, in a hurry. I threw on my specs because I thought my vision was blurry. I looked again, but to my dismay, it was black and white with no room for grey. You see, a big V stood beside my word. And yo, (laughs) that's when it hit me that love is a verb. You got it. Well, here Paul actually uses 15 verbs to describe love. And not only are they verbs, but they're a type of verb that carries the sense of this is the way it continually acts, or it's always true. So not only is love patient and love kind, but it's always and continually patient and kind. Have you ever been the recipient of self-sacrificing kindness? Can you remember times when others have been patient with you? Uh, I remember when we had our third child, we uh, were living on the Sunshine Coast and we were reasonably new still up there. We were attending a church and out of the blue we got a call from one of the mums in the church just saying, hey, we've, we've arranged for seven families to come and drop meals off every afternoon this week for you. Uh, what a blessing. Well, not only that, but when the meals arrived, not only was it just a meal, but there was... Uh, kind of appetizers and desserts and there was coloring books and gifts for the kids and just, man, we were just were lavished with, with love by these families. You can imagine how we felt uh, at a reasonably new church to receive that sort of love. It's incredible how loved you feel when you experience kindness and patience from others. And it's no wonder because this is the way of love. 
Paul continues his description by highlighting that love doesn't envy. It's not filled with jealousy over another's achievements, gifts or success. It also doesn't boast and it isn't arrogant. The word Paul uses for arrogance carries a sense of being puffed up with oneself. It's the outward show of inward pride. I read a challenging quote this week. It said, It's not possible to boast and love at the same time because one action wants others to think highly of oneself, whether you're deserving or not, and the other cares for none of that but only for the good of the community as a whole. As we continue along, Paul clarifies that love is also not rude or irritable and it doesn't insist on its own way. It doesn't chase what's best for it. And he finishes this verse by stating that love is not resentful. Now, the, the underlying word here actually carries the, the meaning of reckon or calculate. So it doesn't reckon or calculate. Uh, Maybe better to translate it as it doesn't take into account. It doesn't be calculating up all the wrongs that have been done to it. I'm sure you've heard this one. Uh, but a married woman once said to her friend, you know, every time my husband and I get into a conflict, he gets historical. <laughs> historical, her friend said. Don't you mean hysterical? No, I mean historical, she said. He rehearses everything I've done wrong in the whole history of our marriage. Paul says that love doesn't do that at home or at church. This term is perhaps best understood in light of Paul's other use of it, where he speaks of God counting or crediting righteousness to those who have faith apart from works, but also not counting their sin. In Romans 4, he writes, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count his sin. Uh, he continues with a transition from negative things. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing to positive ones, but rejoices with the truth. And he finishes his description of love with four positive characteristics. He actually breaks his pattern a bit here because he doesn't just include a verb, but he adds another word. Uh, the ESV uh, translate this all things. And whilst that's absolutely correct, uh, love does bear all things hope all things, endure all things, uh, it's actually better understood to carry the meaning of all ways. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, the, the original verbs that he was using already meant always and continually. So what's Paul doing? Well, he's really wanting to emphasize something. Uh, and he, he doesn't just leave it at that. He actually, when he writes it in, uh, originally, he put the word always right up the front. So it actually should read, always love bears, always love believes, always love hopes, always love endures. You might be struggling and wondering, how is that possible? Well, actually, Paul anticipates the question, because this verse is actually somewhat of a secret recipe for him. Paul's employed a, a writing technique of the time, in the way he structured this sentence, by putting a very similar word at the start and the end, to bear, to endure. And when a writer at that time did that, it signals we need to look in the middle. And what does it say in the middle? Always love believes and always love hopes. And in what 
is love always believing and hoping? Well, none other than our living God, our risen Saviour, him who bore and endured so much for us and who has set before us the promise of forever. One writer puts it, love has a tenacity in the present, buoyed by its absolute confidence in the future that enables it to live in every kind of circumstance and continually pour oneself out on behalf of others. I don't know about you, but I think it's ironic that the Lord used the situation in Corinth to inspire this beautiful description of love. It was because they weren't exhibiting these characteristics that we know the Lord's heart in this manner. His description of love also reminds us that loving in this age isn't necessarily easy. It does require bearing and enduring and being patient under real trials and really dying to our own self-interest. As one author observes, often we'd prefer to just lob grenades of truth into other people's lives rather than lay down our lives for them. Uh, And yet it's by loving that we truly show his glory. Uh, How are you going in your loving? In your home? In the broader church? Are there some things you find easy at home, but it's tricky here? Uh, Or perhaps vice versa? It's easy here, but tricky at home. Paul's description calls us to evaluate our lives and our actions in light of what love really looks like, not what our culture tells us. Uh, For many of us, this will necessitate that we come to the Father in repentance uh, and seek his forgiveness. And when we do so, let's not miss the opportunity to, to also accept the empowerment of his spirit to love this way. Just before I move on to the final section, I just uh, want to invite you just to take a look around the room for a minute. Just look around and see if you can notice somebody you haven't noticed before. Um. While you do so, uh, I know of a little boy who recently, as a homework exercise, had to read a passage about friendship. Uh, Now, the passage said, friends are very important people. They play with you, and they help you, and they share with you, and they let you play with their things, and they look after you when you hurt yourself. After reading this passage, they had to answer some questions about it, and the final question was, what's the name of your friend, your best friend? Uh, At this, the little boy looked up at his dad and said, Is that what a friend really does, Dad? Uh, Because if it is, I don't think I've got any friends. Uh, Nobody does these things towards me. Now, I happen to know that in response to prayer, the Lord has intervened in that little boy's life, and he would say he's got some good friends now. But I'm just wondering if there's anybody here who perhaps as they read that description of love maybe wondering, I've never experienced, if that's what love really looks like, I've never experienced love. They might be praying that somebody would show them love in one of these ways. I'm wondering if the Lord's stirring you to be the answer to that prayer. Well, this brings us to the final section, uh, verses 8 to 13, 
where he highlights the incredible promise that love never fails. But he also highlights two other incredible promises that will really encourage our faith. Firstly, verse 8, love never ends. He says it right there, love never ends. And the word that he uses here for never means never. (laughs) In other versions, uh, you might read love never fails. On Wednesday, Alwyn said he's heard it described, love's flower petals never fall off. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, Let that sink into you for a moment. We know from that incredible passage at the end of our Bibles in Revelation 21 that all sorts of things are destined to end. Uh, John writes that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. These things will end. But love will never end. Uh, As against this never-ending love... Paul pits the temporary nature of the things the Corinthians have been so focused on and that we can get so focused on. They've been pursuing the good and missing the best, he says. He says, look, as for them, they're eventually going to cease. These gifts, these things you focused on, they're going to cease or pass away. So it's silly to be so focused on them now. And it makes sense they'll pass away, doesn't it? Because when the perfect comes, that is when Jesus comes again, We're not going to need gifts of prophecy or gifts of knowledge because we're going to hear from him directly and know him. We're not going to need gifts of healing because we will be fully healed, we'll be perfected. It will be perfect. In the first half of verse 12, he then gives the second incredible promise. We will see the Lord face to face. This week, uh, Deb has been sending me some videos and photos of the kids while I've been away. And as good as they are, man, it's great to be face-to-face. Whilst Paul nowhere despises our current seeing, uh, in fact, in his uh, next letter to the Corinthians, he points out that our current seeing and beholding of the Lord's glory is so great that it's already bringing about transformation in our lives. Uh, But in the future, we will truly behold the fullness of God's glory face to face. And as compared to that day, our seeing today is just dimly as uh, as in a mirror. The second half of verse 12 includes the third promise he, he encourages us with. We will know God fully just as we've been known. Paul's saying in that day, the knowledge of God that we will have will be immediate and face-to-face and just as he knows us. You think of how God knows you. That's how we will know the God of the universe. That's worth pondering regularly. So whilst the gifts are good and they give us sufficient knowledge uh, for now, they're but but the partial experience of the, the full experience we will have in eternity. Love, on the other hand, will never end. And so with that, Paul concludes, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. He's saying so much greater is love that not only is it greater than the spiritual gifts, it's even greater than the other virtues that will continue for eternity. And with that, with the why of love established, he calls them to pursue love, this greatest and most excellent way. 
As we've been going through this chapter, uh, we've been asked some searching questions. Uh, I'd encourage you to really consider them deeply and to respond. Uh, We sometimes misread the Great Commission in Matthew 28 to say, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I've commanded you. Did anybody pick up what what I missed? It actually says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. The call to pursue love isn't a nice idea. It's the command that's put before us. It's what we're called to observe, to do. But what I haven't done yet is show you the greatest reason we want to pursue love. And that is that love is the way of our God, as we know. Our God is love. Elsewhere, John writes, This is love, not that we loved God, or in fact even in each other, as we could add, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. And let's never forget, he did this when we were at our most unloving, not in response to our loveliness or lovingness. And not only did God love the world so much that he sent his son, but he embodied love in the way he went about his mission to earth. Every minute, every thought, every action of our precious Lord Jesus' life was undertaken in perfect love. In many places, I've read the challenge, could you substitute your name for love in that description of love? Andrew is patient, Andrew is kind. Uh, Certainly, uh, I couldn't. But we can substitute Jesus' name. Do you have a favourite picture of Jesus' love? Uh, Was it his feeding the 5,000 rather than sending them away? Was it weeping outside his friend Lazarus' tomb before calling him awake? Was it cooking and serving breakfast to Peter after Peter had betrayed him? Was it his gazing over the crowd as he hung on a cross and his prayer, Father, forgive them? As we sung at Youth Group on Friday night, his love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on us. Uh, If you don't know Jesus uh, or know the experience of being loved like this, I just really encourage you to receive this love that is on offer by believing in him and asking him to be your Lord. For those of us who are already in Christ, friends, Let us continue to pursue love. Let us not do so just in our own strength, but rather by always looking to the cross, by believing and hoping in him who first loved us as our source of love. Uh, Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word today, uh, but more than that, we thank you for your love. Uh, We thank you for Jesus. We're so sorry that we've often settled for a lesser description of love. Uh, Would you forgive us? Please reset our eyes on you and on your description of love and the future hope that you have called us to when we will see you face to face and know you just as you know us, when we will no longer feel the hurt of our sin, of sin, and we will no longer hurt others by our sin. We want to make your name the greatest. Would you help us to do so by empowering us with your spirit? 
Uh, We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. We cannot fully show Christ's love the way he calls us to if we are not first surrendered to him. So we're going to close our service with a song that just reminds us to lay bare ourselves at the feet of Jesus for him to use. It's an old song. Hopefully you remember how it goes. Let's stand and sing together. Renew in me a passion for you. Yeah.